It's good to see each one this morning. Appreciate the opportunity to uh, speak to you this morning in Jim's absence. I remember listening to Brother Guy in Woods one time talking about filling in for Brother Goodpasture. And he made the comment that he was no substitute for Brother Goodpaster, but he was going to present a lesson. So I always appreciated that modesty in Brother Woods. Never was able to hear Brother Goodpaster, but I heard Brother Guy in Woods and enjoyed the things he had to say. This morning we're going to be looking at Psalm 51.5. If you'd like to go ahead and turn there. Psalm 51.5. It is a fact that throughout man's history that he has disobeyed God. There are times that it was intentional and there are times that it was unintentional. And we find ourselves in the same situation today. But God has given us His Word so that we can study it, so that we can keep ourselves from going off track as much as we possibly can. When it comes to God's Word, there have been people who have misunderstood God's Word, misapplied it intentionally and sometimes unintentionally. And oftentimes when the Bible is misunderstood, doctrines form. Systems of doctrines that are contrary to God's Word. Now, I'm not saying that people intentionally set out to do that, to go against God's Word, because I believe that most people who follow God, who write, preach, teach, and those things, do it out of sincerity. But there is a failure sometimes to understand correctly what the Bible teaches. Psalm 51.5 is such a verse. And a doctrine has been built around that, or let's say that verse has been used to support the doctrine that man is born a sinner or with a sinful nature. When we set out to study the Bible, there are some things that we need to ask ourselves when we're studying, such as who is doing the writing, To whom are they writing to? What is the purpose for the writing? When did the writing take place? And those types of questions to help us understand correctly and not get off track about God's Word. Too many times there are those who do not know the background of the Scriptures, and yet they form opinions and even teach certain things based upon their understanding. We just recently studied premillennialism. And it is a prime example, those that teach that doctrine and believe that, is they are a prime example of not going back and getting the understanding, the background of the verse or verses. Psalm 51.5 has been misunderstood and even to the point to where versions of the Bible have been printed with that doctrine in mind. Now, if you have, say, for instance, the NIV, or the New Living Translation, or any of those, you will find 51.5 reads differently than it does, according to the King James, according to the American Standard of 1901. 
which are the two, two of the most reliable versions, translations that we have. But there is a background for this psalm. This is a psalm of David. There is a background for this psalm. Yes, on the face of it, if someone picked up one of those translations and read Psalm 51.5, if they did not have the uh, grounding in the Scriptures, if they did not know the truth, they would believe what those verses teach. And I will read what those uh, translations mention here in just a moment. But the King James reads, verse 5, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, the other Bibles read that I was born a sinner, or I came forth in sin, and those types of uh, phraseology. And they're in opposition to really what is taught by this psalm. Now, this psalm is a psalm of David. This psalm has to do with his descendants. Partly, and partly about his sin with Bathsheba. Now, if we go back to 2 Samuel and we read about David and Bathsheba and that situation there, we find that David crossed the line. He became an adulterer. He became a murderer. And throughout his life, he was a servant of God. And he wanted to serve God, but being human like we are, uh, he was taken over by sin. Now, David is not excusing his sin. Actually, he is asking God to forgive him of that sin because he knows he sinned against God. But when we look at the doctrines that have come about, and mainly the doctrine of man is born a sinner, this is one of the main verses, if not the main verse, that they used to go for their teaching on that. And it goes back, actually, several hundred years to John Calvin. And, of course, there are some others that have written about this and others that have that same idea. According to the Osberg Confession of 1530 A.D., it says, After Adam's fall, all men begotten after the common course of nature are born with sin." condemning and bringing eternal death. Now, the Presbyterian confession of faith declares, by this sin, parentheses, eating the forbidden fruit, they, our first parents, fell from their original righteousness and so became dead in sin and wholly defiled in all the faculties and parts of soul and body. From this original corruption, whereby we are utterly indisposed, disabled and made opposite to all good and wholly inclined to all evil. What it is saying is that when we're born, we're just totally corrupt. There's no good in us whatsoever. And it's because of what Adam and Eve did. Now, we know that's not true because of what the Bible teaches. But yet, here is a doctrine that has come forth from man that people believe and live by. Notice what Jesus says in Matthew 15. And I'll start at the verse, first verse because Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees here. And He is explaining about, in this context, about what is acceptable worship and what is not. 
He says, then came, Jesus, then came to Jesus scribes and Pharisees, which were of Jerusalem, saying, Why do thy disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? And notice that, the tradition of the elders. Not the commandments of God, but the tradition of the elders. For they wash not their hands when they eat bread. But he answered and said unto them, Why do ye also transgress the commandment of God by your tradition? So he tells them right up front, your tradition transgresses. It goes in opposition to God's commandment. You're dealing with a transition, but I'm dealing with God's commandment. But he answered and said unto them, uh, excuse me, verse 4, For God commanded, saying, Honor thy father and mother, and he that curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But ye say, Whosoever shall say to his father or his mother, It is a gift by whosoever thou mightest be profited by me. And the the dealing with this is dishonesty in their attitude toward father and mother. And honor not his father or his mother, he shall be free. Thus have you made the commandment of God none effect by your tradition. So man's traditions oftentimes make God's word void. Now there are traditions that are okay. But they have to be in harmony with God's word. He goes on to say, Ye hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy of you, saying, This people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth, and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I have never understood why a person who has an honest heart would not search out God's Word totally for the truth and leave any prejudice or bias aside. I want to know what God's Word says. Yes, I read other commentaries. I read what men say. But God gives us the ability to decide and to understand whether those people are right. I have read different things from members of the church that were incorrect. But with the correct understanding, I know that. And I'm no different than anybody else. But he goes on to say, But in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. How much of that do we see in the religious world today that those out there teaching man-made doctrines, man-made ideas for gods? I just recently read in this past week that one of the largest religions in the country say that homosexuality is biblical. In other words, it's okay. It's Christian. They say it's Christian. Well, what did they do? They got together and decided among themselves. They didn't go to God's Word for it. They decided among themselves what was going to be the doctrine taught in their group. So Jesus is exactly right when He says here that men teach for commandments the doctrines of men. But notice what He also says in verse 9 there. He says, but in vain do they worship Me. In other words, when a person crosses that line... What they've done is in vain. It is empty. It is no good. As we often say sometimes, it's not worth the paper it's written on. So when we look at these ideas about inherited sin, the sin of Adam, we see that they go against God's teaching. And we're going to look at some verses to show that because we understand that you can't have opposites agreeing with one another. In other words, sometimes things agree, and sometimes they don't. It's like what they say, oil and water doesn't mix. They're true. Commandments of men oftentimes do not mix with the doctrine of God. Uh, 
Another thing that, that I found, the following qualities are described in Calvin's Institutes on the designated pages. Remember the, the Cal, Calvin's Institutes, the things that he had written? You can probably go find those online somewhere. Uh, several are listed here. Page 143. Uh, man is born altogether devoid of good. Uh, cannot move and act except in the direction of evil. Page 145. So that all the thoughts which proceed from it are derided as foolish, frivolous, perverse, and insane. Uh, naturally vicious and depraved. Perverted and corrupted in all the parts of his nature. A seedbed of sin. Incapable of one righteous desire. Also in another document, Calvin uh, wrote, There are some infants in hell not a span long. What happens to the infants if they're born sinners and an infant dies 30 seconds after it's born? According to John Calvin, that infant is condemned to hell. And that's what he means by this. Of course, this all goes down to what Calvin taught about unconditional election and predestination, irresistible grace, uh, and eternal security of the saints or perseverance of the saints. So we see, and I have no idea where he got those ideas unless reading Psalm 51 that he took that, but that's not in the original. Why does it vary so differently from what the King James says or the American Standard? Well, this is the background of Psalm 51.5. If you will, turn to Genesis, the 38th chapter. Oftentimes, in Jewish culture, when a Jew would say mother or father, they oftentimes could have been talking about a grandfather, great-grandfather, great-grandmother, or a distant relative. And that is the case here. How often did they talk about Father Abraham being generations removed from Abraham's generation? Did they refer to Abraham as Father Abraham? It was a title of respect and honor. When we look at Genesis 38, we have the account of Judah and Tamar. Now, if you are familiar with this uh, account, Judah being one of the, the twelve uh, brothers, the twelve tribes, Judah had his own family, and his oldest son married Tamar. Before they could have children, or at least male children, Judah's son passed away. Now this deals with the Levirate marriage. Back then, if a man died before he could have a male son to carry on the name, his brother, or one of his brothers, I would assume the second oldest, would fill in and take his widow and raise up a male son in that union to carry on the family name. Well, the situation with Judah and Tamar, well, Judah's son passed away. 
Onan, the second son, is supposed to take his place. And although somewhat of a union, he refused to bring a child into the world through that union because of his attitude. But as we read this, we find that God had taken Judah's first son, Ur, and also he took Onan. Well, that left the third son, and Judah tells Tamar to wait in her father's house until this third son was old enough for marriage so that he could bring up a male into the family to take on the family name. Sheila being the third son. But I don't know if Tamar got restless. Tamar didn't think Judah was going to fulfill his promise to have Sheila be her husband or what. But Judah goes up to a place where he is up there to shear sheep. I don't want to read this whole section because it is a a long section. But if you look at Genesis 38, beginning in verse 12, And in process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was confronted and went up unto the sheep shearers to Timnath, he and his friend Hira the Adullamite. And it was told Tamar, saying, Behold, thy father-in-law goeth up to Timnath to shear sheep. And she put her widow's garments off from her, and covered her with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place, which is by the way to Timnath. For she saw that Sheila was grown, and she was not given unto him to wife. When Judah saw her, he thought her to be a harlot, because she had covered her face. Now she's dressed in a way that makes her look like a prostitute. And he turned unto her, by the way, and said, Go to, I pray thee, let me come in unto thee. For he knew not that she was his daughter-in-law. He does not know this is Tamar. And she said, What wilt thou give me, that thou mayest come in unto me? And he said, I will send thee a kid from the flock. And she said, Wilt thou give me a pledge, till thou send it? And he said, What pledge shall I give thee? And she said, Thy signet, and thy bracelets, and thy staff, that is in thine hand. And he gave it to her, and came in unto her, and she conceived by him. And she arose and went away, and laid her veil from her, and put on the garments of her widowhood. Now, not to get into the rest of the story, we see what happens here. Tamar is deceitful. She tricks Judah into uh, impregnating her so that she can have children. Well, this is the descendants, or Christ is a descendant, David is a descendant of Judah and Tamar. So when David says, as according to what the King James says, he is dealing with this background. He is not talking about the fact that he was born a sinner. But yet, men as such as Calvin and others have not only believed that themselves, they have taught it to be the truth. He says in verse 5, Psalm 51, But hold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He is talking about the sin of Judah and Tamar. And if we read on, we read under the law the fact that there was uh, conditions for those that uh, could enter into the temple and those that could not. 
David's ancestry, what happened with Judah and Tamar, caused them not to be, uh, not to be able to go into the temple. Deuteronomy 23, verse 1 and 2, reads, He that is wounded in the stones, or hath his privy member cut off, shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. A bastard shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. Even to his tenth generation shall he not enter into the congregation of the Lord. First, a man who was sexually mutilated was excluded from public worship. Uh, One will recall that no animal with blemish or defect could be offered in sacrifice. We go back to Leviticus uh, 22, 23, and 25. How about the Ethiopian eunuch? Remember the eunuch had been to Jerusalem to worship? The eunuch, though he had journeyed a thousand miles to worship in Jerusalem, he had to stop at the outer court. He could not go in. He had to stop at the outer court. And that's, of course, if you go back and look at Acts 8, chapter Philip and the eunuch, uh, that situation there. But under the law of Christ, he would be able to. That is one of the reasons, and I, and I thought about this. Often people, uh, when we talk about the eunuch went on his way rejoicing, well, the fact that he obeyed the gospel, that ca- that's cause for joy. That's cause for rejoicing. But how about the fact that he could now be among God's people in the assembly of God's people, not having to stay outside where the, uh, from the main uh, congregation. Now, as, a God, as God's child, as a member of the Lord's body, and of course we know that more than likely he went back down to Egypt and uh, congregations were established. But uh, I thought about that. It's just my opinion. But we know the Bible says he, does go, he went on his way rejoicing. But I think that that probably had part, uh, that, that was part of it. Uh, but let's turn over to Psalm 122. We're looking at the 10th generation. In other words, David's descendants could not enter in until 10 generations passed. What we have in Psalm 122 in verse 1 is another psalm of David. He says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. In other words, that time, that penalty phase had been eliminated. David was the first generation after that to be able to go into the temple. See the background of what's going on here? David has, he's not saying that man is born a sinner. So actually, if you look at the the psalm itself, David is asking for forgiveness for his personal sin. This is, and of course, we can learn lessons from that. We know about repentance and asking forgiveness. But this is a psalm by David about David. Not universal for the world in the sense that he's asking forgiveness because he's born a sinner, which they say that David's asking forgiveness because he's born a sinner. That is not the case. But what about some verses that show us that what they teach is incorrect. Well, there are verses, because God does not leave us hanging. Whenever there's something that is incorrect or false comes up, we can look to God's Word and find that. There are so many different doctrines taught about salvation, about heaven, about this life on this earth, that do not correspond or agree with God's Word. In Zechariah 1, Zechariah says, God formeth the Spirit within man. 
Who forms the spirit within man? God. Now, are you going to tell me that God forms an evil spirit within us? If God does that, then God is to blame. I didn't have anything to do with it. God made me evil, so therefore God takes the blame. Is that the case? Not hardly. Because God forms the spirit in man, it is a clean spirit. What kind of God would cause us all to be evil from the very beginning? I mean, that's not a loving God. That's not a just God. Along with this teaching, and some of them, is you cannot change that until the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and causes you to change. Well, then why isn't everybody changed? If it's only certain people, and this gets to the point of... uh, the election of God for some to be saved and some to be lost. If it takes God, it takes the Holy Spirit coming into your heart to cleanse you of that evil, then why doesn't God do it for every single person that is born? By Him not doing that, He becomes partial. What about Acts the 10th chapter? Turn over to Acts the 10th chapter. Is God a respecter of persons? Verse 34. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, Of a truth I perceive that God is no respecter of persons. But in every nation he that feareth him and worketh righteousness is accepted with him. Does that say that God is a, uh, an impartial God? Or does that tell us that God is a partial God? If God came into Brother J.C.'s heart and changed him, why doesn't he come into my heart? Am I any worse than J.C.? Scriptures tell us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, I know the first application of that is the fact that Paul was talking about uh, the Jews had the idea that they were not sinners and the Gentiles were. And he was trying to explain to them, you're as much of a sinner as the Gentiles. You just have a different covenant with God. But we all sin. So what makes one person better than another or more deserving to have the Holy Spirit come into that person's heart? doesn't. Turn over to Zechariah. I mean, excuse me, Ezekiel. 18. You know, sometimes it only takes one verse to disprove a doctrine. But we oftentimes have to continue on and to try to make it a little better, a little plainer. I don't think it gets much plainer than this. Ezekiel 18, verse 20. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. The son shall not bear the iniquity of the father, neither shall the father bear the iniquity of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon him, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon him. That shows that each person is responsible for their own sin. If God caused me to be a sinner from the very beginning, then that's not my fault. That was God's fault. 
But the idea that man is born a sinner is anti-biblical. And we see that from just a couple of verses. There are more verses that we could look at, but we don't need to. Because we see what is put forth here in the Scriptures. Each of us is responsible for our own sin. As we look at Psalm 51.5, we must remember that it is a psalm of David about his asking forgiveness about his situation with Bathsheba. I would encourage you to go back and read those passages and get a fuller understanding of all those things that deal with that. And looking now at the fact that Psalm 51.5 has a background that is nowhere connected to anything of sin nature or born a sinner, we know exactly what David's referring to. But he is also referring to his sin that he acknowledges. He is not trying to get out of his sin. As a matter of fact, he is asking God to forgive him. And that is what we need to do when we sin. We need to be penitent people. We need to repent of our sins when that happens. Today, under the law of Christ, a person cannot be forgiven of sins unless they are a child of God. And it takes a person obeying the gospel to be a child of God. Well, what does that exactly mean? Well, there are commandments in the New Testament that tell us what to do in order to be a member of the Lord's body. First of all, we must believe that Christ is the Son of God, and we can only do that by hearing God's Word, learning about Christ. Where do we learn about Christ? I don't, I mean, we can read different books, but those religious books about Christ are based on the Bible. You know, people tell me that they don't uh, read anything but the Bible in their studies, that uh, they, they don't look at other commentaries and things like that, and I'm thinking, well, that's interesting because... In order for them to understand the whole Bible correctly, they would have to have perfect understanding. I'll admit to you, there are some things that I have not understood. After studying them and reading other things, I came to a clear understanding. But I always cross-reference and check things to make sure that things are right. But the Bible tells us that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I am He, you shall die in your sins. John eight twenty four. And then naturally, after believing Christ, when Jesus says we must repent, we must repent. Jesus did not make that a suggestion. Jesus said, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. Luke 13, 3 and 5. And then be willing to confess Christ publicly. Because Paul says, confession is made with the mouth unto salvation. Romans 9, uh, 10, 9 and 10. And then be willing to be baptized into Christ for the remission of your sins. That's when a person is forgiven of their sins. And then after that, as a child of God, we can ask God to forgive us of our sins. But until that happens, a person cannot be forgiven of their sins because forgiveness is only through the blood of Christ. And we can only contact the blood of Christ through baptism, Romans 6. If you find yourself in that situation this morning, not having obeyed the gospel, we encourage you to do that. Because we want to see people go to heaven. We want people to obey God. And we pray that you'll do that. As a child of God, if you need to respond at this time to the invitation, don't hesitate. Don't put it off. Pray that you'll come as we stand and sing.